Good morning again, and this is episode 79 of Speed Service Murmurings, a Speed Service podcast by Crossway Speed Service. Um, the last one just got cut off because when I'm recording on my phone on, my, uh, on the phone in the car, if someone rings me, um, then it cuts off, and then I can't add to it. But I've changed the topic. Or changing topic, but staying, on, staying in the same kind of um, line as where I were in the last one. So, um, had a really tough year last year. Um, last year and during last year I was um, and I'm going to cover this topic over a few podcasts but um, during last year I was uh, referred to the HTBC the Healthcare Professions Council and so as a speech therapist you'll know what that means but as a parent or a commissioner um, what the HTBC does is a statutory body um, and they just ensure that they've got lots of different kind of um, kind of principles or standards that we have to meet as speed therapists. Um, and the HCBT just makes sure it kind of protects the the, the, the incentives that protects the doors that access the services in the UK uh, by ensuring we meet certain standards. Um, and I've, I've been referred to HCBT um, for a number of reasons that I'm going to go through. Um, and the whole process was like the most anxiety-provoking process I've ever, ever been involved with. Um, and um, I guess the first thing to state is I was, um, it, was, it was found at the final, um, the final hurdle, I was found that I had no case whatsoever to answer. Um, however, there are certain recommendations that were put in place. And one of the recommendations, um, it's not a recommendation that was put in place, but for those me to reflect on it, that was my use of social media. And that's why you'll have noticed that I kind of changed my approach with regards to social media and then, and one of the things that I'm going to talk about today um, and I think this is something I'm talking about because I know that depending on who you're employed by and depending on the type of work you're doing um, as a speech therapist or anyone that is, that's HCPQ registered um, if you're in a position where you are criticising anybody uh, with regards to speech therapy provision um, it's the reason I'm doing this podcast is to just help you to be mindful um, of one of the things that I was accused of, and that was bringing the profession into disrepute. Um, that's a very, very, very difficult thing um, to consider as a speech therapist um, when, when you've been accused by um, another therapist, a, 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 a manager of a service, bringing the profession into disrepute when you love the profession when you dedicate your life, um, and you, you speak to my speak to my family, my friends, I am obsessed with speech therapy, and I have been doing, I have been obsessed with speech therapy since I started training 17 years ago. I've been qualified 14 years. Um, I've done very well within the profession, within NHS positions, um, rising up very fast. I've run a very successful speech therapy independent company. Um, I've worked a hell of a lot internationally. I'm very happy with how my career has progressed in the position I'm in now. So to be accused with bringing the profession into disrepute, um, uh, it really hurt. And when you brought all the complaints together on these two separate surfaces, um, it was it was it was hell. Like I and I, and I, and I, I don't feel that lightly. It was a very difficult time last year, a very lonely time. And I thankfully have some therapists that are. Um, that I see as friends, um, I've got a, I've got a particular therapist, a couple that I relied on a lot last year, um, who have 
30 years plus experience, or they're about 30 years plus experience, each of them in the profession. Um, one is retired um, and has held very high up roles within uh, within bodies, um, with within speech therapy. The other one that now works a bit independently, but um, for the NHS equivalent outside of the UK, uh, or outside of um, England, Ireland, Scotland, um, and Wales. So, yeah, I, I had, um, so I got the initial email through, um, I can't remember the exact date, but the, the time period between getting a referral from ACPC and being asked to respond with your manager's name, and, um, and that's it, um, to kind of the different steps of the process, and at some point I'll go through the process much more clearly. Um, it feels like eternity between points for the case manager um, that you're that you're that dealing with the case um, doesn't respond to emails back and forth. They will send you an official email. You'll respond succinctly, and then you will be sent another email in maybe two, three, four, five, six months time. Um, and then again, um, where if it moves from stage to stage and it gets more serious, uh, you'll be moving through this. You'll move through that process. Um, so, I was accused of bringing the professional disrepute because of my because of my use of social media, um, and I use social media, and this is what I I felt strongly at the time. I was using social media for good. That I was um, never no, never overtly criticising a specific service, but never mentioning a particular location and criticising that speech service service. Um, but I did criticise um, an NHS service, or the, the NHS on the whole. Um, and I never, never ever mentioned child names, locations um, of where child, children are. I never mentioned um, service names, exact things they work for. But I would criticise a service in general as in the NHS service or local authority service, um, and what was found, um, or what was what I was accused of, is that in doing that, I'm I'm presenting to people that read my Twitter. Uh, and it wasn't most, but I've asked Twitter, but also on the blog that I have, um, and I was I was potentially painting these services in a negative light, which could potentially then impact on people's perception of those services um, or perception of the and this is what's, in, what's interesting for me when well, the fact that I there's no case to answer was that it's not about what I'm accused of is bringing the whole profession or what I was accused of was bringing the whole profession into dispute when in fact it was about bringing an NHS body into dispute and this is when my when my legal representative um, who was Kind of as part of the Royal College of Speech Service um, Insurance, you you're, you have legal representation for, for situations like this. And my legal representative uh, and I spoke at length about how a public body should be held accountable for what they do. Um, and the NHS and local authorities are public bodies. As long as I'm confidentially holding something to account, it's very different to bringing a whole profession, including public and private, um, and this we're talking a whole profession, 
um, not just individuals, uh, into distribute. And this is why it was found that I didn't bring the profession into distribute. However, that's what I was accused of. Um, and my, 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 my tweets and my blog and my Facebook posts that were questioning why children were being discharged early, why children weren't being seen for, for work on social skills, where, um, if, they, if they had a particular need, why children weren't um, being provided with assessments as part of statutory assessment, why children were um, provided with um, a six-monthly six speech therapy session when they've got a diagnosed language disorder associated with autism and diagnosed with autism. But I was... I know my, most of my tweets are not available from that for that period because I went through every single tweet and whilst I stand by a lot of what I said in terms of um, my concerns about the profession and my concerns are not just my concerns uh, if you look at a lot of NHS service managers tweets who've been around for 20-30 years they are very very unhappy about how the speech service services have been demolished by the Conservative government over the last 10 years and the funding has just been stripped and stripped and stripped and stripped out. Uh, people have been downgraded. People have, who have left their jobs or gone on maternity and not come back full time or gone on um, gone on sabbaticals and then never been the funding's ever replaced. What was ha- what happened over the last ten years? Is teams have shrunk, and when teams shrink, capacity shrinks, and the amount of provision available for children with special educational needs and adults um, is has become reduced, reduced, reduced. And then when you find out that um, people are retiring and being replaced by needed qualified therapists, you actually find that the, the whole body of speech therapists in the UK, um, whilst we do our very best of the whole body, um, is very different to what it was 10 years ago and further back. Um, and NHS managers are, are vocal on Twitter about this. Um, but the fact was I was vocal about the impact of this. Um, and... When I was accused of it, I'd actually, prior to that point, I'd gone back to Royal College lots of times um, and and expressed my concerns about what NHS therapists were telling me about what they had to do in their services, what local authority therapists were telling me that they had to do. And I still get these messages from concerned therapists who are told not to do full assessments, told not to put their scores into reports um, because that can add weight the report of needing therapy. We've been told not to been told they have to use a particular pro forma in terms of um, how much therapy is available over a service and therefore how much that child could potentially get. I'm not using an evidence base but using a provision based model rather than a child needs based model. Uh, still get these really concerned emails from usually less or more junior therapists who are asking, is this right? Is it right that local authorities told me that I'm not allowed to add any of the assessment data into the report uh, and that I just have to say that an assessment took place um, and, I, and I'm, I'm being capped on how much they're allowed to state in terms of provision but also uh, making sure their reports are um, countersigned and, and amended by managers. So I'm getting these concerns come through. So and these are my, these are my concerns and I was sharing them with the Royal College of Therapists um, and unfortunately um, they a service that I'd gone up against a lot at tribunal, um, the, the manager of that service took it on themselves to um, report me to HCBC because of my use of social media. And that really, I mean, it, it knocked me for six. Um, 
I took my social media to complete private. I went through my followers. I was very careful as to what I said. I'm still very careful, but I've undergone social media training. I've been very careful as to, and I've reflected on the social media training I've done. Um, I'm much more balanced in my approach. I'm much more sensible in the way that I tweet. Um, and I'm more careful that it's not possible to see my tweets as uh, potentially bringing the profession into disrepute. But my reason for this podcast is to just remind therapists that there are a lot of people that are doing a lot worse than what I'm saying, a lot worse than what I was saying, that are still very active on Twitter but have less followers. My issue is I felt that I had, um, like, it's not, I felt like, I, my issue is I had a lot of followers, but a lot of the, the world's speak therapy of two and a half thousand, three thousand plus. I mean, I'm not thinking about like 3,200 followers on, on Twitter, which in the grand scheme of things is absolute dust. But within speak therapy, it's quite a high number, and therefore I had reach. And if I only had 10 followers, I wouldn't have that reach, so if it had for people to accuse me of what I did, which was bringing the fresh dispute, which it was found that I didn't actually do that. Uh, however, um, it's interesting um, that I'm still seeing therapists do this, um, and they tend to be independent therapists uh, that have worked in the NHS, that work for local authorities, um, and they're still stating things and um, being active on Twitter and I and it's a bit and I'm trying to I'm trying to guide people where I can, uh, but that's not my role. Um, but I'm trying to explain to people as, as kind of calmly as possible that just be careful in what you say, because if you say this and you have ten followers and no one cares, if you say it and your followers start to increase, or if a or if a parent finds an issue with what you said, or a the local manager, speed service, service find has issue with what you said, then you could end up going through the hell that I went through. And I actually know two other therapists right now who have been referred to ACPC for similar claims by an by by a local um, speed therapy manager. Um, and again, out of complete coincidence. The same managers are the same managers that these therapists are going up against in tribunal um, and in appeal assessments, um, and, and therefore meeting them at, um, at mediation, etc. So, I, I'm for me, it wasn't a coincidence. Um, I, I was going up against a particular service uh, regularly, um, not not by choice, but by the assessments that I was referred to by legal aid or by families or by solicitors. Um, and when it, the thing is, if you work with a particular family in one, one area, when their friends at school need a therapist, they will come to you. Uh, and I was getting lots of referrals in this area, and therefore these therapists were seeing my reports on a regular basis. And my reports are very different to their reports in terms of the provision of therapy. And the judge and the expert, expert panel members were, were agreeing with my findings. Um, and therefore, these services were having to provide what I'd said and not what they'd recommended. Um, so, I, I, do, I, I do feel that, if, that people have to be a bit more careful. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big kind of lover of SLTs and the same team uh, and the work that they're doing. Um, I've been careful not to become too involved in it because I, do, I, I feel 
it needs to be run by everybody, and I don't want it to become something that I... I, I mean, I, I will tweet, I'll retweet, I'll give examples of of great kind of um, kind of um, NHS and private work or local authority of private work that, that I'm doing. Um, I might become a member of the CEN. I, I, originally, I was going to, but I, I, for some reason, kind of personal reason, I decided not to. Um, I think part of the reason is I was in the middle of an ACPC investigation about this particular subject, and I've, I was advised to keep my head down, and I've, and I've continued to keep my head down. I've continued to be more mindful of what I tweet. They now give a more balanced view. Um, I don't call services out as much as I used to, um, or, I un- or I'm very careful in the way that I do, um, and I'm, I'm mindful that, I, like, I mean, speech therapy is my life, like, I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm obsessed with speech therapy, I'm obsessed with the, the work that we can do as a profession, um, and the impact that I have on families and also speech therapy services when I win, oh, win, and I know we don't like saying the word win, but when I'm successful at a tribunal and get the provision, that actually means that the funding for that provision is moved from a local authority pot to an NHS pot usually. So I'm actually, in, the way, in, in a strange enough way, by going up against NHS therapists who are instructed by the local authority um, and in being successful in tribunal, the work that I do actually funnels money into speech therapy uh, rather than away from speech therapy, which is what, what the other ther- recommendations um, is usually doing. So not re- recommending what a child typically might need um, because they know they can't actually provide it. But by doing what I do, I actually make sure that the local authority then has a pot of money that they give to the NHS to commission that work. Um, we're all on the same team, but I keep saying this, I'm really, really... I really, truly believe we're all the same team. Um, the, the challenge is, I have complete autonomy. Um, I, I'm completely objective, and I, nobody, but because so many different people pay my bill, um, i.e., 250 people paying my bill last year or over a 12 month period, um, I'm not pulled by anybody. I'm not. I don't have one single employer that I have to make sure that I um, that that I abide by what they state. Um, or I don't have set guidelines. Um, I see all these different services. I see how they deliver things completely differently from one end of the UK to the other end, or from one borough postcode to another borough postcode. Um, I see how children will access um, direct intervention from a speech therapist um, in one locality in London, but in the next door locality for exactly the same needs, they don't. And it's nice that the Royal College Street Therapists have been tweeting this week or last week about the postcode lottery within, within speech therapy. I've been saying this for years, and whenever I said it, I would be attacked for saying that the postcode lottery. Because um, my question was, if, if, if you have a child with autism uh, or an autistic child in one locality, you should receive exactly the same services as, the, as your friend who lives 10 miles away. But the fact of the matter is you don't. Um, and and even a child that has exactly the same needs as close as possible, they they will receive a different service depending on where they live in the UK. Um, and when I talked about the issue with this is that who's following the evidence-based practice that we all say we follow if there's such a disparity between services and such a difference 
depending on where you live. Um, and that, to, that for some people, was seen as anti-NHS, whereas I've never, ever been anti-NHS. And I, I go back, I do locum positions in NHS uh, quite often. Um, the last one was three years ago. Um, and and no, I've never, ever been anti-NHS or anti-local authority. I work for a local authority for this year. Um, but I'm pro-speech therapy. And sometimes they, the, the two things don't always go hand in hand because I believe that therapy um, and the and speech therapists using their skills to train others and model therapy through direct therapy um, and assessment, having doing thorough assessments is what our role as speech therapists is. Um, whereas I see a lot of the time speech therapists don't actually have capacity to do therapy and they're only expected to do programs. But that's my experience as well. My experience, my first first lot of experience was you're you're a consultant to um, to these mainstream schools. You must go in, review the program the previous therapists um, put in place, do do direct therapy with the child, but model the next set of targets that teaching assistant, and then see that child again in either another term or another six months. And that was my first ever speech therapy role. You're a consultant. Uh, you're truly qualified, but you're a consultant. You're doing the consultancy approach. Uh, you're not doing any direct therapy within these mainstream schools. But in the special school I work for, um, I was allowed to do direct therapy three, four times a week with particular children where we could see there was a need and they were progressing. Um, again, in the presence of a, of a teaching assistant or a speech therapy assistant who then replicates the work outside of the session. But the disparity is so different. You can have a child who's in the special school getting intervention and a child in the mainstream school that has got exactly the same need who doesn't get that intervention because of the placement that they've chosen or the placement that they've been put into if the parents have an appeal. Um, so there's just, it's, it's a minefield out there. Um, but this podcast isn't about that. It's about being mindful as clinicians that absolutely everything you write on social media, unless you are completely private, um, and even then you have to choose your friends um, as to what they might share, um, everything that you put on social media is up to scrutiny. And that is whether you're a, whoever your employer is, if you're HDPT registered, um, I, I highly advise that you look into social media training just to make sure you stay on the right side um, of, the, of the standards. Um, HDPT have got very clear social media standards. Um, I highly recommend um, you look into them and make sure you're staying on the right side. You do not, in any any world, want to go through what I went through last year. And last year was a tough year for everybody. Um, but imagine having a tough year in terms of COVID, in terms of absolutely everything that's happening with children at home, homeschooling, and then being told you've been referred to HCPC to bring the compassionate disrepute. Um, but thankfully, um, it was found that there was no case to answer because I hadn't done what I was accused of doing. But that knocked me for six. You know, my confidence, not much confidence as a profession. Um, it actually made me feel that I didn't want to be a speech therapist anymore because it felt that I was being targeted. And I'm, I still am being targeted. Um, so over the next few podcasts, I'm, I'll, I'll dip into um, some of the other aspects of, of the HCBC complaints. Um, again, I was at no point there was a case to answer. My response by the barrister was very clear, um, and it was, and 
I, it was found that I, uh, again, there was no case to hand. Um, 